0: There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi Fi Radio from the AM 640 studios in Toronto with Hi Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardle.
1: Good morning, Toronto. Jack is away. So Mike shall play with us. Mike Bellamy, financial planner, my co-host today in the studio. We are going to talk pipes, power, utilities. We all get a Hydro One bill. We're going to talk to the analyst at Canaccord who covers Hydro One and Enbridge and pipes and everything that moves crude across this great nation of ours. Uh, We're going to talk tech as well. Nortel, bye-bye. BlackBerry, still around but no longer overly relevant, but Rob Young has the latest and greatest, uh, talk about companies like can access very dynamic, uh, powerful Canadian tech stock, not very well known, but the stock is ripping and roaring. And then we're going to look at the tea leaves or the charts, uh, with Ron Mises of phases and cycles. He's going to join us from Montreal, but without further ado, let's talk Pipes with Dave Gallison, NBA analyst, Canacor Genuity, very, very well decorated man. He's been in the business for umpteen years and uh, yeah, he's a very, very bright fellow. David, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah,
1: thank you. So, let's uh, let's start with uh, this week there was an announcement. Uh, Desjardins, I believe it is, uh, said they are no longer they're considering to no longer support the financings of pipelines in. Canada, uh, is it something we should be concerned with?
2: I don't think so. I mean, the uh, the the midstream companies typically have very good access to the capital markets. So, a smaller player like Daytrader moving out, I don't think will have a major impact on financing these projects as they as they need it.
1: Hmm. So, okay, now let's talk about Canada. We, Trump, you think pipelines. Um, there's been so much uh, political debate internationally about these pipelines and pipeline expansions. So, get, let's get back to basics. After all, it is early in the morning on a Saturday. Uh, let's get back to basics here. Uh, what are the pipelines that are on the table? And, and what are the stories around these pipelines and the significance of these pipelines?
2: So um, there's, a, there's several different existing export pipelines in Canada. Um, the Enbridge mainline is the largest exporter of crude out of Canada. They, they roughly ship about 70% of, of overall crude um, that, that's exported. Um, so there's like you mentioned, there's two uh, proposed export pipelines, the Keystone XL pipeline and the Trans Mountain Express. Now both of these have had some issues, and there's going to be a lot of headro- headline risk around them. Uh, for example, the uh, the Keystone expel pipeline has been delayed for multiple years. Um, it had a presidential, um, uh, the former president of uh, of the U.S., Barack Obama, had was against it and was, was causing delays. Um, we've had a change in the uh, the administration, and now with Trump, he's in support of it. So. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to see these uh, some some movement here for the uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. So
1: again, the Keystone XL pipeline is to ship crude from Canada into, into the US. In, into the United States. Yeah. The other project is the Trans Mountain.
2: Yes. Yeah, so the Trans Mountain pipeline will give the producers in Canada access to the Asian market. So um, that's actually supposed to start uh, construction this uh, this fall. Um, but we've had some change in government in the, uh, in the BC, so you now with the um, NDP and green mi- minority government, there could, there's gonna be some potential headwinds there.
1: Yeah, we had Raffion from Canoe Financial a number of times, and the, the, the most recent time, he was most colorful, uh, speaking uh, adamantly against the political decisions in this country, how they're just so anti-business, specifically to uh, a, a key component of the Canadian economy, which is exporting commodities to the world. Mm-hmm. His, his point was that's what we do best in Canada. That is our trump card, yet we are handicapping the producers. And as such capital may no longer flow into the country do, do you believe that to be true in terms of capital flows
2: um you know i'm not really sure that that's going to have an impact from the pipeline standpoint if, if i think if the the approval comes in place for these things to be built then there will be sufficient amount of capital supported from from either the equity and the debt market so i'm not sh- i'm not too worried about um the funding of these projects uh, if they receive the approval it's more the approval that's going to um, be the delay or the issue here. In
1: terms of timeline, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I guess I'm going to. <laughs> um, Keystone Pipeline, best
2: case scenario, uh, 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 the green, uh, blue sky uh, uh, approval. So, I mean, it's most of the pipes already been built, but I don't think even um, the, uh, the industries like CAP are, are forecasting it to come in until after 2020. Um, whereas uh, the, the Trans Mountain, as long as there's no major delays, it could come in as early as 2019. Um, but you know, based on the current production forecast, we may not need any additional um, you know export capacity at, in the current uh, uh, environment, unless there's you know an uptick in oil and, and some incentive to, to further increase production.
1: Because Canadians have been you know really shortchanged in terms of crude, uh, in in that there's this phenomena of what's called dif- differentials. Uh, the, 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 all of our exported crude ends up into one market, which is America, and because America knows that they base Canada has one customer. We tend, to, we tend to get a differential above and beyond the cost of shipment, and uh, uh, th- this truly has been unfair business practice, so allowing our crew to enter other markets ie Asia uh, is obviously beneficial to the crude market in Canada, yet it just seems to be so challenged to, to get over the finish line
2: yeah and well, I think that uh, obviously uh, trans mountain is is would be a very, very good uh, project for uh, a pipeline for for Canada and I mean, you can just see from the contracting that it's around 70% contracted already, whereas the Keystone XL pipeline will have to secure the the contracting for it before it'll actually go into production.
1: Stay with us, David. I want to talk to you more about the cost of shipping by crude versus rail right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: for the love of money hi-fi radio with wolfgang klein talk radio am 640
1: about Joe... morning y'all we're talking crude bubbling crude that is it's david gallison in the studio with us uh, pipe analyst utility analyst uh we're gonna talk about the hydro bills probably at the end of this hit with them we have to put them on the spot i guess i ouch, we're getting hurt on those hydro bills but uh david let's talk about shipping oil how do we get rid of the stuff out of canada into the global markets and what does it cost to move a barrel of oil around this great planet of ours
2: well the preferred method would be from pipeline one it's safer um but also it's much cheaper to ship by by crude anywhere from you know six to nine dollars a barrel um, compared to rail, which you know has its own issues and and can cost upwards of twenty dollars or more um, to ship out. So and
1: ultimately, so for, coming out of Alberta or BC, when we ship crude,
2: ultimately it ends up where in America? Um, well, there's different uh, pads in different areas, but mostly in the uh, um, you know in the Midwest and. Um, into the, the the Gulf area. There's where the refineries are.
1: And in terms of refining uh, in Canada, uh, how much of that do we do ourselves? Are we still continuing to ship the raw crude out and allowing someone else to, quote unquote, add value and get the value add economic
2: benefit? Well, the majority is shipped out of Canada. There is some refining, raw. yes. There is some refining, um, but the majority is actually shipped out to the U.S.
1: What about refined product up here in Canada that uh, we are all consuming this weekend? Um, and it's not a long weekend, so I'm not going to jack the prices up on us. But um, uh, the stuff that we consume here in Canada, are we refining it? For example, in Ontario, the stuff we're consuming, or are, we, are we shipping the raw stuff to the Americans and buying the refined stuff back?
2: Uh, there's a bit of both, but you know the, the stuff that we do produce in Canada, we will consume within Canada.
1: And, and how much do you think that we imported the refined product in India?
2: Um, Offhand, I'm not sure about the uh, the amount. Okay. Yeah, hm, interesting.
3: Awesome. Have you seen a lot of uh, mergers in the space recently? And anything you could think about going forward, if there's any other companies, maybe the, the larger ones starting to eat up the small companies, et cetera? You
2: know, there is M&A as a theme in the industry. We've seen quite a few. We've had um, Pemina just recently announced the, uh, the, the intended acquisition of Verison. Um, but just before that we've had Embridge just close the recent acquisition of Spectra Energy um, and, and just prior to that we had uh, um, TransCanada um, purchase uh, Columbia right. so uh, there, there will be a continue M&A theme um, you know I would say in Canada, there's, it's not as a fragmented market as it is in the U.S., so there's fewer and fewer opportunities for M&A within, within Canada. We'll, we'll likely see more of the Canadian companies looking to make acquisitions in the U.S. Okay.
0: Are they paying a pretty high premium for these U.S. companies are
2: uh, well valuations are actually off quite a bit from you know the 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 normalized levels because of the oil, lower oil price right now and you know some uncertainty around what what the overall level of production is going to be on a go forward basis so they're not paying as high as they would have you know prior to 2014 um, but they're definitely below nor- what I would say normalized levels would be.
1: Okay. David, uh, let's talk income because obviously you're covering pipelines. They're they are utility type. Uh, assets, um, uh, long life assets, uh, and as such, they generate a lot of cash flow. Um, they're obviously dividend paying stocks, good dividend paying stocks, three, four, 5% against a 2% 10 year government bond. So retirees are looking to these v- vehicles as income generating uh, investments. Um, let's talk safety now. Uh, crude is at 45 bucks a barrel. Uh, it's not 150 so I'd say it certainly is hundred dollars safer than it was but it also was 25 yes. and when the going gets tough it gets real tough in Alberta uh, and as such now these pipes uh, their take or pay or how much cur- uh, commodity risk exists only pipes to retirees clipping those clipping those dividends
2: so the majority of um, the income earned or the earnings that are generated from a midstream stock are, are from either fee for service and or take or pay type provisions. Uh, most of the midstream companies do have a modest amount of uh, commodity exposure, but they try and manage that within uh, the overall context of their business so that the d- dividend is supported by these um, fee for service and take or pay uh, contracts. So that um, without hedging, you know, in a rising commodity price environment, they can capture it and when it's, when prices decline, like in this environment, they're not generating as much uh, um, you know earnings to the to the overall portfolio. But for the most part, as long now that Verison, I think the only one that had a real concern with supporting their dividend would, would have been Verizon because they were we were close to hundred percent payout ratio, but that has now been eliminated when with the acquisition by Pemina. Um, otherwise, most of the the companies have you know a sixty to seventy percent payout ratio. Some companies like Enbridge, their target's 50 to 60%, whereas uh, Kiera has the lowest pay, target pay ratio, of the group of 40 to 50%. So um, there's, there's different areas where you can pick. Some are maybe a little bit more risky in the beginning, um, but as the, their projects come online and start contributing, that pay ratio will drop down. Um, let me ask you a
1: couple of financial questions here, and I, I know it's early in the morning. I don't want to get too heady, but I, 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 it is important. Uh, you, the, these companies are massive users of capital. Are they good users of capital? And the way we can answer that question is with either return on equity or another number I like is return on invested capital. So with a company like Enbridge, that's a granddaddy of the companies you follow. What kind of ROE and or ROIC, return on equity, return on invested capital, is it generating?
2: So- well, for the, with the midstream stocks, because of the long-term nature of these contracts, return on invested capital is, is a bit more difficult because it just uses one year, I guess, of, or an average of, of of the earnings. But we like to use like a, a discounted cash flow, return on equity type of a component. So, uh, most of these companies will look at maybe a a 10 to 15 percent um, after-tax IRR is more of a target that they like to use for the in, their in, internal rate of return. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and or a um, you know a high single digit. Um, to uh, low to mid uh, double digit uh, discounted cash flow return on equity. Mm-hmm. That's and typically the targets that you'll see.
1: So the, the Enbridge dividend the payout ratio is fifty percent. So they got themselves a bit of a cushion.
2: The likelihood of Enbridge cutting the dividend in the next five years? Well, I think they're well. They're, they've got the best in class targeted dividend growth profile. They're they're looking to increase the dividend ten to twelve percent every single year through twenty twenty four. I don't see any risk. Um, uh, without any like, unusual uh, circumstances, there would be a risk of the dividend. Yeah. Maybe be, growing it past 2019, there might be, uh, you're gonna require to have either some of their unsecured projects secured or maybe moving up the payout ratio. But at least through 2019, with their growth profile in place, they should be able to support the
1: dividend. safe. That's good. Well, dividend growth is very, very important. Again, uh, friends at home, if you're investing in dividend-paying stocks, uh, do not necessarily go for the highest yield. Go for the company that can support the dividend, and as David indicated, grow the dividend over time. David. You can go back to bed now, my good friend. Uh, We've covered pipes, and that's very important this time of day because, after all, some fiber. I guess you need some pipes, eh? Uh, (laughs) Coming up next, we're going to talk tech with my buddy Rob Young, analyst at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto.
0: the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640.
1: Science. Yes, or as Rob Young would say, software. Rob Young, analyst, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Now, Rob, you cover a, a- Gamut of companies. You're not just a software guy. You you got uh, communication technology, enterprise software, gaming technology, uh, IT consulting, semiconductors, and uh, even a company called Solium Capital. That's a SaaS company. So you're all over the map, my friend.
3: Yeah, it's a little like special sits.
1: Which is special city. It's all over. <laughs> We're going to have fun this morning. I can tell. This is good. Thanks for coming in, man. Uh, you good? You had some coffee? You had your old brekkie? Yeah, yeah. You feeling good? Okay. Uh, where do we want to begin? Uh, Amazon. Let's, let's talk Amazon. When we talk tech, you talk Amazon. You just have to. And The buzzword, uh, Mike, that Jack came up with two weeks ago is, who's been Amazoned? Lately, you know, Dave Gallison's still in the studio here, the the, the pipeline guy. I don't think Amazon can can uh, can uh, affect your sector. Maybe they can. Maybe Amazon can can move barrels of crude around too. I don't know. I, I spoke to a, a, a an ice cream vendor, by the way, uh, the two days ago, and ice cream sales in January and February. What do you guys think, your analysts? Uh, do they do well? Probably not. Probably, good answer. Yeah, ice cream sales don't do well in January and February. And the, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you guys are analysts. These guys are smart. Um, trick question. Trick question. <laughs> 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 had to think about they it These long. CFAs, <laughs> they, they overthink stuff, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, ice cream sales don't do well in January and February. Um, but uh, as such, they would, they would shut ice cream stores down in January and February. And along came Uber. And Uber approached them and said, hey, we'll deliver this stuff around for you guys. Sales went from 10000 a month to 30000 a month in January and February just by hiring Uber Eats. To deliver those little uh, shakes that people like to have. Them. I like my yogurt shake in the morning. It's a good probiotic. We're not going to go down there in terms of where that goes. But anyways, Rob, back back to uh, software, back to technology. Uh, what's what's going on in your space? It's a very, very dynamic space. A lot of moving parts and never a dull moment.
3: Always a dynamic space. That's technology. It's disruptive. It's the, uh, the next thing coming. So, yeah. Um in Canada, uh, tech in the public markets has been a little bit weak lately. Uh, some of the valuations have come down, but still think this is a really good place to be. Uh, Canada has a small technology sector relative to the U.S. I mean, if you look in the U.S., you got Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple. It's, you know, the biggest equity uh, investments you can find in the world. Here in Canada, uh, not quite the same, smaller sector, but it's a very vibrant sector. We have pipelines in Canada.
1: Uh, hey David, we've got some pipes in Canada, but it's true, Rob. Look, I'm a portfolio manager, so I put money to work, and I read your work. I read David's work, and I got to then, you know, place my bets, uh, deal with the probabilities of managing money. Uh, when I when it comes to technology stocks, Rob, I'm sorry to say, I don't look to Canada for technology companies. Uh. Yeah, we had Nortel, that was a darling until it wasn't, and we had BlackBerry, and that put Canada on the map again. But we don't have a lot in Canada, or do we? Now we got your company that you're you're, you're following that's been ripping and roaring, and again, again, the, the the problem I think you have, Rob, is as an analyst trying to um, market the companies that you follow, uh, is you come a guy like me who says, well. Tech, no, I'm going to go south of the border. And you should say,
2: you
1: know, slap me in the head a little bit. Say, wait, stop. There is actually a couple of good ideas here in Canada. And one is your company called Canaxis. So let's talk about Canaxis.
3: Yeah, Canaxis is a great company. Uh, It's uh, been on the public markets for a few years now. stock chart looks fantastic. It's actually weakened just a bit recently. A lot of the tech names have weakened a bit. This is actually a pretty good spot to get in, I would say. It's one of our top picks. Um, What does the company company do? What they do is they make companies who make stuff more efficient. So every company out there that has a product. So Nissan just signed on as a customer. Samsung is a recent customer. If you're shipping a product, the business of moving your supply chain is much harder now than it was 10 years ago. Things are more volatile. And Canaxis is a company which offers software in the cloud that helps companies that make stuff deliver it better and uh this has been a company that uh, has been adopted by some really big supply chains if you look at Gartner's list of top 25 supply chains a good chunk of those names are now customers of Canaxis. and so like i said Samsung uh big big company i mean uh, next to the iPhone the, you know the most popular smartphone out there uh Nissan you know pushing a lot of cars Ford's a customer uh and every day uh this company seems to be getting bigger and bigger it's a top growth name uh, but it's also profitable which is why I really like it. It's going to give you a growth, but it's also profitable at the same time.
1: Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a Supply chain management, share with the audience what that is and how relevant, why it matters. Supply chain management, why does it matter?
3: Yeah, well, if you're going to build something and you're going to sell something, you got to move it from where you built it to where you sell it. And you got to get all the parts into the, into the factory You got to get the right number of parts into the factory. You got to be able to forecast your sales and you got to make all those things work. It's a really tough math problem to solve. And Mm -hmm. so software is really good at doing that.
1: You know, I guess the Japanese would have loved this with their just-in-time inventory that they created back in the 80s. I'm dating myself, but I'm good at doing that. Look, hang around with me, Rob. I want to talk to you more about technology and software and moving stuff because David here, David, of course, our oil analyst or pipeline analyst understands about moving barrels. You're moving zeros and ones. Hang around. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640.
1: Wakey, Yes, indeed. We're talking technology with Robert Young, Canaccord analyst. David Gelson is still in the studio with a pipeline guy and Mike Bellamy, financial planner. Uh, Artificial intelligence AI. Uh, I'm reading a fair bit about that, Rob. Um, It seems like it's everywhere. Yes, Uh, it really does. In in terms of my studies that I'm doing, you know, when I read read up on Google or Apple or driverless cars, Mm -hmm. um, AI seems to be a factor in in all of this newness that's going on. We're at the top Uh, of
3: the hype cycle. Pardon me? We're at the top of the hype cycle. Maximum Mm -hmm. hype around AI. And there's a lot of confusion around what is AI. There's machine learning. There's neural networks. There's artificial intelligence. all these things sort of mixing together. Nobody really knows what it is.
1: Um, I like your little dance you're doing.
3: On the other hand, (laughs) you know, Toronto is actually, uh, it's like right at ground central of this. The University of Toronto has been all over neural networks for years. Um, You've got Uber coming to Toronto, building their... AI hub here. Uh, Toronto is actually right at the center of the universe for AI. And so I wouldn't say that there's anywhere for investors to stick their money right now unless you can play in the privates. So no, um, no,
1: no pure play public AI company.
3: Well, there's guys out there like OpenText, which have a they just released something called Magellan, which is a uh, it's called machine learning analytics. Uh, there's there are companies that have pieces of it. There's companies like CGI and others who do some you know system integration and consulting around that piece. But if you want to go for a pure play AI, there's not a lot. But you go up just up the road here to Waterloo, there's companies like ClearPath Robotics, which is right dead center. Vancouver, you've got Kindred. Uh, some pretty strong names in the burgeoning, you know, AI ecosystem. But it's going to be a few years before you're going to be able to play in it in, uh, in, in in a pure way on the public markets.
1: And, and again, it's early in the morning, Rob. To help the audience out. So, what in, in the pure sense, what is AI, artificial intelligence?
3: Well, there's a lot of pieces. It's a pretty you can go down the rabbit hole pretty fast here. But I mean, AI is basically you're going to give a computer the ability to act like a human being. So, I mean, maybe you're, you're using a chat bot and uh, you're chatting uh, with you think a person on the other side of the computer, but actually it's a computer talking with you. That's AI. There's machine learning, which is using iterative cycles to get make the computer work better. Like if you play a thousand chess games each time, it gets a little bit better because it learns. There's a lot of pieces to it, but it really it's, it's using a lot of data and putting it through a lot of smart algorithms to come up with really good business insights. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mike Bellamy here. So yeah, I recently interacted with one of those uh, AI secretaries. So hmm. I was emailing back and forth with her. It actually took me a while before I figured what out What kind it of was. site was that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we got good firewalls at of Canaccord. Of yeah, exactly, it
1: was yeah, legitimate. blocked. You yeah, can't exactly. get anywhere. <laughs>
3: so I tried to set up meetings and stuff like that. So she was basically figuring out the calendars back and forth, etc. cetera, um, communicating just as if it was talking to somebody yeah. real, right? So it was a little bit uh, odd, but again, it was efficient for the person I was emailing with and it worked out well. They don't have to pay for a secretary. They pay for a service instead. So it's amazing. You can buy right now, you can go and get a Google home and uh, you can talk to it. Say, Hey, okay, Google, play me some solo piano and boom, you're listening to some piano. The, the ability to listen and interpret natural language and then give you something right away. That is real right now.
1: Okay, you're talking high fidelity now, my friend. This is hi-fi radio, okay? We go from finance to fidelity. I'm glad you gave me that segue. Thank you for that, Rob. Uh, Yes, artificial intelligence, learning to play classical music, fact? A computer?
3: Yes. Potentially. I haven't heard of it myself, but, I mean, it sounds like something that you could teach a computer to do.
1: Because I, I, I'm a, I won't say student, but I, I read Bob Lefsetz. Uh, he, he's a music critic and a technology critic. And uh, I don't know if you don't read Bob Lefsetz, Rob, you'd actually enjoy his work. Um, but he was saying the reason kids, millennials, are no longer interested in instruments is because technology is basically putting them by the way of the dodo bird. Uh, and it's now all about technology. And technology, in fact, is a disruptor to analog, classical, straight-up music the way, you know, I know it as a, you know, guitar in hand and walking down the street with that guitar. Uh, So
3: this concerns me. I don't know that a computer can replace, you know, the... uh you know, the Dillons or the the the, the real... Uh, the Wolfmans. It's going to be hard to, to replace the art and the feel of music, but I the agreed. precision of playing an instrument, that's certainly something a computer can do. Over time, then artificial intelligence, that's the direction you're going. You're trying to mimic a human capability on a computer, and maybe we'll get there. I I don't know that we're there right now. So
1: let's go back now to Amazon, because you're talking tech. We can talk Amazon. Um, Who do you think is investing? Because R&D is important in technology. It's key in technology. Uh, Who do you think is investing the most in AI? Uh, Is it Amazon? Is it Google?
3: Well, I mean, Google is probably the biggest name. Um, Salesforce uh, with the uh, Einstein, they're definitely up there uh, Amazon for sure. I mean, these are companies that have an enormous amount of compute capability. They've got big data centers. So anyone who's got a huge data center and a lot of data, you can bet that they're working on some form of AI throw Facebook in the mix. Absolutely. All of them are, I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of, uh, people talking about how much they're spending on it, but you can be sure that when Google's out there doing something that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, the reason they're doing it is probably because it's something to do with AI or data analytics.
1: Well, what's that division that Google has, uh, uh, new projects? Uh,
3: well, they're alphabet now, and so you now everything that's not alphabet is pieces that are – New businesses. Google is the but they online have divi- ad, they have divi- else. But they
1: have a division that they uh, – New Ventures, I think it's called. Something to that effect. Sure. Yeah. But, um, Google Ventures. You're Ven- the VC arm, yeah. They, thank you. Google Ventures. Um, has anything come out of that – and again, I know you don't follow the company, but you're a smart tech guy. Has anything materially come out of, of, of that uh, um, incubator?
3: Yeah, there's lots of great stuff. I mean, there's just one in the news recently, Boston Robotics. Uh, they sold a, uh, a piece of um, it's, it's some interesting robotics technology. It was actually sold to SoftBank, and uh, it's uh, you know, self-directed uh, uh, robots that are helping infantry in the U.S. military carry stuff that's really heavy. And uh, so, I mean, the, the ability to sort of take a robot and make it act like a, uh, a, a human being or something that can move through very complicated uh, terrain, I mean, that's one that just recently popped out of Google.
1: Unbelievable. All right. So you're both fundamental analysts. Think fundamentally, trade technically. Coming up next, Ron Mizel's Phases and Cycles, a technician, is going to hopefully join us to talk about the charts and what we are doing in the summer doldrums of the stock market right after this. I want the money. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come.
2: That's what I want. You're
1: listening to Hi Fi Radio from the AM 640 studios in Toronto.
2: That's what I want.
0: for the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640.
1: Well, good morning Toronto and I do hope your morning is just peachy. Um Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Mike Bellamy's in the studio filling in for Jack Hartle, who is taking a little vacay, but it's a staycay here in Ontario, which is so nice. And uh, yes, David Galson remains in the studio, our pipe analyst, and uh, Rob Young, our tech analyst. So we're going to go from fundamentals to technicals because, as they say on Bay Street, you think fundamentally yet trade technically. Correct, Ron?
4: That is exactly right.
1: Yeah, so Ron, Ron Mizell, president, Phases and Cycles. Uh, he's been an active analyst. I'm going to say this on air, Ron, since 1971.
4: That is correct.
1: Th- that's unbelievable. So uh, can we ask how old you were in 1971? to what? Can we ask how old you were in 1971? I can't remember. <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> Ron, we're in the summer doldrums. The TSC is at, what, 15,100. Last time I checked... In 2008, at the peak just before the crisis, the TSC hit about 15,100. Moral of the story is the TSC, since 2008, has done bupkis.
4: Bupkis is the correct English word.
1: <laughs> but you clipped a divvy along the way.
4: It's uh, Toronto is uh, having a little bit of... It's, a, it's having a pause. Not a menopause, but just a pause. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, likely to want to... Make sure that some kind of a base building, some kind of a trigger is waiting for a trigger to change it around because that currently is running against New York. New York is doing very well even though it's not a hell of a new up, a new high that's happening. But at least uh, New York is uh, plugging along whereas Toronto since March, since February of this year have been very weak because uh, nobody is pushing it, because the banks have been weakening, although it is starting to turn around, because the oil stocks that at least have some weight in the index have been poor, acting poorly, because the gold prices are not happening the gold stocks. So what is there to do? Well, we still have a couple of stocks that are doing very well, if you're interested. But generally speaking, uh, the Toronto has been has been weakened and plugging along.
1: Look, big news for, uh, of the week has been Bank of Canada raising interest rates for the first time in seven years uh, now. Granted, two years ago, Bank of Canada gave the system a bit more juice. Most people aren't truly aware of that, so it's important to keep it in context because you know what people are aware of is the mortgage and rising mortgage rates. And, uh, oh boy, uh, our rate's going to go to the moon. But uh, the moral of the story for the week is we've taken out nothing but some a little bit of excess stimulus, those 50 basis point cut that w- the bank did in fifteen, Half of it has been removed. They're going to take the other half away at some point probably this year. And that still leaves us a very accommodative interest rate environment. Uh, the bond market, Ron, I want to talk to you about the charts in the bond market, but I going to stay in the stock market for a second here. So we're looking for a catalyst to get Toronto going. Interest rates went up. At times, markets will go up, and at times, markets will go down. So that's, that's the first question for you. Rising interest rates, good or bad for equities, Ron?
4: Well, again, uh, you're 100% uh, Wolfgang that uh, the rising interest rates, you can have market go up and market go down. It's the most important thing. Number one question is, are we in a bull market? Are we in a bear market? And if, if you're in a bear market and interest rates go up, then you could say, oh, 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 that's not very good, et etc. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're in a bull market, interest rates go up. If it's going from 12 to to 13, that's a totally different than it goes from zero to three quarters. So, this little thing in my mind, this little raise, is is not a big thing. It affects the mortgage people, even though one quarter results. I mean, how big is your, you're going to save? 200? You're going to cost you an extra hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on your mortgage, whatever. It's mental. It's mental. It's psychological. Is it something where people are going to get scared of or are people going to say, hey, I don't care? Uh, borrowing money for investment is going to cost you a little bit more. That may mean that people are not going to be as likely to borrow money in investment, which is stupid because if you can borrow money at a quarter, uh, one, quarter one quarter of 1% and you can still make something like 2% or 5% in some places on dividends, then why shouldn't you be borrowing? So it depends on the mind of the people.
1: You know, it's very interesting because in the studio, again, I have a tech analyst, Rob Young. Hmm. In high interest rate environment, people buy tech stocks because they can pass on uh, the the, the higher cost onto their consumers. There's pricing power in technology.
3: Higher interest rate means you've got a better economy, you're going to have more people buying technology things. There's a lot of consumer discretionary. The other thing is there's a lot of money in the private markets right now. And so if you have higher interest rates, some of that might kick out because they want, they want, they want to have, you know, illiquid in, uh, investments for a long time. Could be good for the IPO market, Was good for uh, technology stocks.
1: But now let's talk about David. He's in the pipeline business. Pipes are utilities and as such uh, are what we call, right, stay with me, Ron, they're bond surrogates. So what kind of impact are you expecting, Dave, to, to, to the midstream producers with rates rising here?
2: Well, in general, there's a couple of different things you have to think about. Well, these are also capital-intensive businesses, so higher interest rates theoretically could mean higher costs of it for interest um, expense. Now, you know, like a, a 0.2 to 5 uh, percent increase is not a major deal. It's not going to you know break the bank. But in general, rising interest rates. Um, well, they're bond proxies, so you know the share price is going to decline. To it's really the spread between the yield-based interest, instrument, the ten-year um, bond or the investment-grade corporate debt, and the dividend yield on those shares. So it's that spread that's important. So if the yields are rising on the on the ten-year um, or the investment-grade corporate debt. The the yields will need to rise, which means the share price will come down. On to offset that, yeah, to offset that. But but so, we're,
1: we're not there yet. We, 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 with rates being this low, interest rates I don't think affect your space until you get above what three
2: percent or so. Well, you're going to have a much more meaningful impact now. Uh, the the yields have been rising, and the shares are actually, they've been impacted by that. But in the, in a rising interest rate environment, really what you want to do is position yourself with. Um, companies that can actively defend that share price through dividend growth. So for example, like in Enbridge, they've got the best in class dividend growth profile, 10 to 12% increase each year. They're the best in class to to be in. Also, companies like Pemina or kiera they can actively defend that share price through dividend increases if they choose to.
1: Ron, look, we're going to make a little money around here, Ron, but do me a favor when we're off air, take a look at the charts and some of these pipes, uh, the the Enbridge pipe, the the, uh, Pembina pipe, and, and tell us what you think of the charts, okay? Well, We'll we're, we're, no, I, I, just make some money here, Ron. So check the charts. We're going to run some ads. We'll come right back to you. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640.
1: All right, folks, last act coming at you right here. We're talking pipes. We're talking fundamental and technical analysis. Mike Bellamy in the house. Of course, we got Rob Young covering off the tech stocks and Dave Gallison covering off the pipes. And of course, our producer, Rob, is just working the board oh so fine. (laughs) Pipelines, Ron. So fundamentally, uh, we like the pipes. David likes uh, Kiera. That's one of his preferred names. In terms of the charts, the technical analysis, what are you seeing?
4: you brought up the, the pipelines and you said uh, about the interest rates to do with the pipelines and I have to tell you that uh, when you come to the, the pipelines and the yield, the trap yield is about four percent, the Enbridge yield is about 4.75 percent and they're two separate different stories so the interest rates are just a, just a minor thing in my mind when it comes to pipeline because on the TransCanada People are still hoping that the, the pipeline is going to be built, and they're not selling that stock. Whereas, as far as Enbridge is concerned, the Enbridge stock has been in the doldrum. It has hit sixty dollars at the end of last year, and now it's at fifty, and it's on the falling way. So, no matter the five, four and a half percent, or four and three quarters percent yield, this stock is vulnerable to be heading lower. Because it's an oil, because it's nothing to do with, with – not, it's not the uh, uh, interest rates that are driving it, but the price of oil is driving it.
1: Interesting. Uh, let, let's move over then to Kanaxis. Rob Young, our uh, t- t- tech analyst, um, <laughs> has been very, very keen on Kanaxis, um, uh, a logistics software, SaaS software company. Uh, K, uh, what's the symbol on it?
3: KXS.
1: KXS on Toronto. Uh, what do you think of that chart, Ron? KXS
4: is... Uh, is uh, I'm just trying to look up the dividend on it. I don't think they No dividend. A dividend. No dividend. No, no Divi. dividend. Tech
1: stock, stock no dividend.
4: The stock has been marvelous, and if you ask me, I would have said, uh, Ron, you're a stupid idiot for not buying it until 2014. The stock was $15, now it's $85. Mm. Wonderful. One, two, the not even three years ago. However, a stock going from 15 to 84, you have to examine where there is, how much more upside target there is. Technically, the stock is above its own trend line, its own momentum, has good momentum. So there's a likelihood that it can go higher, but you have to be aware that already has done a back performance, you have to put in some kind of a stop losses, meaning you have to sort of set yourself a price below which you don't want to own the stock. Right now, everything up to $70 uh, is safe. If it, it could bake on the upside and hallelujah more. But as I said, <laughs> you have to be make sure that you don't start giving back. Uh, you don't want another... Uh, and I'm not going to scare anybody, but you don't want another Deutsche Telecom on your hand. You always have to set yourself a place where you're just gonna get out. Ron, let's talk about that because in reading your work,
1: um, you, you spend a lot of time on on raising stop levels. Can can you please uh, educate the audience uh, as to what you mean by raising your stops?
4: Well, <coughs> you buy. Excuse me, but you buy a stock and suppose that your hero. And you pick the right stock. Like, and, Rob, like Rob's stock the can access. Yeah. And it's, it keeps going. So it's $15. It's 17 It's 20 It's 25 And then uh, for the very simplest, simplest place, uh, the simplest thing to do is to so look at a chart on the stock. It's available on Bloomberg. It's available all over the place. Uh, gold, gold, investor gold, whatever. You can take the chart. Put a 40-week moving average at, average on it, and that's your life. So you keep you keep the stock as long as the 40-week moving average is rising, and you generally put the stop loss, meaning a, a danger level, when the stock starts to back off more than it's needed, which is a you can set a certain percentage. I certainly don't have time, enough time to do it, but you have to have your in your mind. Something where you say, if this happens, I no longer want to own the stock. And the biggest problem with retail people is that they see this stock, let's say, go to $90, and then they say it comes back to $75, and they say, that's okay, that's okay. And then it comes to $70, say, well, you know, that's okay. It comes to 65 oh, that's okay. It comes down to 55 oh, my, now it's cheap. I better buy some more. Well, that's baloney. You should never buy a stock that is below its 240-week moving average. So, once you set yourself, take a piece of, take a little book. When you buy the stock, put it down in the book. What is it that you should scare the hell out of you? And when you're ready to not continue to own the stock, open that little book. See what you said six months ago. When you sat down that, that dollar, f- dollar mo- amount below which you don't want to own the stock. And there was a reason to do that back then, so it should be a reason to do it today to get the hell out of it.
1: There's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in what you said. Uh, have a plan, trade a plan. The trend is your friend. Bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. <laughs> Ron, Ron Mizell's president, Phases and Cycles, live In Montreal. A real pleasure to have you with us today, Ron. I wish you a wonderful Saturday and a great weekend.
4: You too. Love to have you. I love to talk to you anytime.
1: Great. We'll be bringing you back on, Ron. A real pleasure, my friends. Uh, David Gallison, pipe analyst, did a very, very fine job live on the radio. Rob Young, your dance was too much. We're going to have to bring you back, and uh, I guess we'll have to get into some video footage of that uh, little Snapchat going on there. Mike Bellamy good filling on. in for Jack Hartle. Mike, you did a very, very fine job. Thank, thank you. you very kindly for being here. Thanks for having me. And again. Uh, Jack, you were missed. Folks, have a good weekend. Hi Fi Radio, AM 640. Wolfgang Klein, I was your host.
0: Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Jack at wolfgangklein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.